1: Hey, friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach and within 48 hours you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off 1 month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschoolcom Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I am so thrilled to welcome an amazing, amazing woman, Tiffany Sauter. She is a CEO of Element3, which is a full-surface marketing company in Indianapolis. But she's also a mother of four. So we really dive into her life, how she handles being a mother, being a CEO, growing a company, and all of the tips that she has implemented as an entrepreneur, what her background was like growing up, and how she really started all of her career path in her teen years, helping her dad grow his first business. Tiffany is smart, but she's also humble and honest. And that's what I love. It really helps to just talk to someone else who experiences the ups and downs of growing a business and how you stay focused and passionate. And try your best to balance it all out with motherhood. She has so much to say, and all of you will just really benefit from her various tales and tips and just her passion in general. So please enjoy my conversation with Tiffany. Welcome, Tiffany. I'm so happy to have you on today, especially as a mother, an entrepreneur. I know that you'll be able to share so many tips of your journey with my viewers today. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Laura. I'm excited to be here. So let's just uh, dive into your background. How did you get started in this world of business, of marketing and take us along the journey?
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm a small town kid. I grew up in the middle of Indiana with like cornfields and like, you know, free range all around me. Um, And when I was little, my dad farmed, which is like kind of were very normal for this agrarian environment that I grew up in. And when I was in third grade, I was eight. um, My dad um, decided that he was going to leave farming and become a businessman, Um, which sounds normal in the world I live in now, but that was not a thing that you did in these small towns in rural Indiana. And so I lived really you know, my whole childhood was my dad building this business and him going back to college and taking classes on econ and accounting. And um, I'm the oldest of four. My youngest brother was three months old when he started this. And so my adult self looks back and says like, holy crap, like the risk that my parents took, my mom stayed home with us four kids was incredible. It was incredibly enormous. And the first few years were really, really hard. Um, But I really, I grew up the kid of an entrepreneur and I lived the lean years of what it looked like for early mornings, late nights. Um, My dad is in the pallet industry. They're the largest um, pallet manufacturer East of the Mississippi now. And, you know, one time that it burned down and like, there's just, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I saw. So, you know, I think this love of making and risk was so Just in my childhood, I almost didn't recognize that I grew up in a really high-risk environment um, because it was so normalized what was happening. It was just what I knew. And so when I, you know, um, my dad was really intentional about teaching us business. He would pay us to read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, We did cash budget as a family so that we understood, you know, what things cost. And then he helped us start a small mulch business. Cause all this wood pallets, you take that you know, excess and you chip it into wood and then you color it and you sell it to people for mulch. And so we had to buy, well, we had to, well, it kind of had to, we <laughs> bought semi loads of mulch from my dad. They would come and dump it in the middle of our small town on this cement pad. And then my sister and I were the oldest two. We would sit beside the highway with this Bobcat and we would load up farmers pickup trucks with mulch. Um, And it was a cash business, you know, and we might, we, at the end of the year, we had to fill out our 1040 EZ and file our taxes and go to the library and get the form and like all the stuff. Um, So, you know, I'm a product of my environment, but I also think I grew to love it, just entrepreneurship and
1: all that. So <laughs> I can imagine, I am just getting the chills hearing this. This is like, I feel like something everyone should be exposed to early on because you're learning incredible life skills, whether you go into business or not. These are these are things we have to do as you know, in our adulting, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to balance a checkbook, being able to file taxes, um, going to the grocery store and knowing how, you know, I, you know, I thought I was doing great teaching my kids like this is how you look at how things are packaged and how when you look at the price, you need to look at the unit price. And that's Mm -hmm. how you compare the prices versus just Buying one that seems to be the cheapest, it might not actually be the cheapest, and those are just skills we ha- we need to pass on because if, if we're going to grow kids up, or you know, and that's what my parents taught me, we need to know how um, money comes in and money goes out, and and how we are ultimately responsible for that to some degree. I am curious, um, how is that working with your family? Did you ever have? Did it bring up any? Uh, did it make you closer? Did you have any kind of fights about um, who is going to do what? Or like, I'm sure in terms of your leadership, because you are obviously a huge leader in the field that you're in now, did it cultivate those skills of like what you needed to to lead, especially as the oldest kid?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like the stereotypical oldest in all of the aspects. Um, <laughs> and I still am. Um, so, you know, working together was what we did you know, some families talk about dad played baseball in the backyard with us, or we traveled and went camping or like, you know, families just have like cultures and stories. And ours was that we worked together. Um, we mowed the lawn, we shoveled the, we, you know, we shoveled snow. We went and I, after school, I would go clean the bathrooms at my dad's, um, manufacturing shop. And it was just what we did. And my dad is a guy who, just commanded respect from us as kids. It was just not an option.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and when he told us to do it, we did it. Because if we did it, there was consequences. And it was just very clear. There was no like negotiating yeah. all of that. So how
1: has that shaped your own parenting? Because I'm sure there's things that you really loved about it, but also probably resisted just naturally as a child. Um, do you feel like you parent the same way or what did you learn from your parents that you passed uh- on?
0: I think the things, um, the things I've, I mean, I, I still very much value hard work and just like grit. Uh, I think it's who I am. I think as an adult, I have learned and I'll sort of answer your question adjacent and then go more directly to it. But, you know, I've had to learn as an adult that you can't outwork everything. You actually do sometimes have to like stop and let yourself have emotions and like sit in. Sadness or sit in disappointment, and that's okay. And so I think in you know there's so many benefits that came from growing up in a I'll say a high output house. <laughs> uh, I mean we could get an enormous amount done, but I think sometimes there wasn't the space to like just be really sad because there was a
1: lot to do. You know what I mean? So oh totally, I think that's I, a really important and something yeah. I think this generation of parenting is probably doing better is that it's not just about, like you said, just about output and accomplishment, but um also feeling the things that come along with it, which are a rainbow of emotions.
0: Yeah. So I think that I've had to I've I've realized that the sort of sharp edge of being so just task oriented and like really willing to or willing and able to mentally override my, you know, tiredness or whatever it is, like I'm really good at that but I had to figure out how to balance that with like sometimes stopping and really assessing, like, what do I actually need? Um, I I would say uh, my kids would say I'm tough on them. Um, I think it's important that they learn. Uh, My dad talks about how like time under tension is actually how you grow. Mm -hmm. And we can't short circuit that. It's just like actually true. And so um, we have a very loving house but I, there's really crisp expectations. (laughs) And um, when that doesn't happen, then there's consequences. And I don't want to do that, but it's just life. Life has consequences when you don't follow through, when you don't say what you were, you know, do what you were, you said you were going to do when you're not responsible, when you don't show up, when you're tired, like life has consequences. And so I feel like it's my job as a parent to, to model that reality so that when they get into the real world, that that's not a surprise.
1: I totally um, agree. I think yeah. that having those um kind of clear boundaries like you're talking about that what is you know what is expected and how you meet that and and what is what is not tolerated those are those are really important skills for kill for mm-hmm. kids to know and and I love how you talked about this this idea mm-hmm. of stress is actually what grows us obviously stress to a point um will fray us, but we have to have uh, We have to have some stress some tension to accomplish stuff we have deadlines and we have to meet them and and that's that's why we meet them is is not that it's like hey do it whenever you know okay nobody's going to do do it whenever They, they need to do it by a certain time and that expectation is what rallies your energy and your productivity and your determination so i'm curious um in your work let's just dive right in there when you have these moments of kind of up and down, and you do feel like, wow, this is just too much or overwhelming me, what are some of the the tools that you use, either that you learned from the past or have cultivated as an adult entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a couple of just like really practical things. Um, And it's in seasons. I would say there's like micro and macro where I get to this place where it's like, man, I've just said yes to too much or I can tell I'm in an overperformance mode and I'm going to crash. And so I've got to figure out how to work myself back from this. I'll say on the micro level, um, when I just open up a week and realize like, this is just, this is going to go very poorly if I actually do all the things that I've said I was going to. Is all renegotiate things. So if there's one hour meetings that can be made a half hour, if there's um, people I can have come to me, if there's, um, um, you know, like uh, moving a drop off with a kid or carpooling, like just micro solving in that way can create 30 to 45 minutes of capacity that allows me to have a little bit more margin as I'm switching to things in a very I'm very high capacity and so I have a very low switching cost I can go from thing to thing to thing to thing but I know now that I um can get to a place where it almost feels manic inside my body and I'm just not it's like not a healthy place and so I just will renegotiate things where in the past I would feel like renegotiating some of those things was like kind of a failure or I wasn't keeping true to what I said I would do. And that was so important to me. Um, but it was really not changing the outcome. Does that make sense? Like Absolutely. making something a 30 cost minutes
1: versus, yeah, versus yeah, the ultimate was, outcome. Mm-hmm.
0: Totally. And so I'm like, you know, there's really things I can change, renegotiate that don't disappoint people, but it mm-hmm. does create it where it's more sustainable. You use that word actually, when we were prepping before we pushed record here, how do you put a sustained effort towards your life? That That's- what I want. I want my weeks to be sustainable. And my younger self really thrived on these like just extreme seasons of performance. And then I would kind of, I wouldn't even retreat. It's not even what I, I would just extreme just after uh, one after the other, one after the other one, after the other. Um, and I think at a macro level, um, I have learned to notice when I have too many different commitments. One of the things I've observed is when there's something I'm asked to like, if you want to serve on this board, or do you want to like take on this project? If the people are totally unconnected to everything else that I'm doing, it becomes an entirely new population of relationships to manage. Mm -hmm. And I've observed that there's like a exponential impact to that. Yes. When you have to keep, you know what I'm like, keep up with those people, stay connected. And it's not that I don't want to, it's just you only have so much relational capacity. And so that's something I've observed as I've gotten older. It's different to say yes to like teaching another Sunday school class at church that I already go to versus saying yes to a totally new project or a new organization. I don't know anything about, or those people aren't already connected in my life. Um, And so I've just paid more attention to that at a macro level, as far as really what is the size of the S.
1: Yeah. I I love that. I think that, you know, you're basically talking about the natural kind of contracting and expanding and how, unlike your younger self, you can't just stay in this expanded state because Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just the volume is too much to manage, Um, especially because you have so many other responsibilities. Now you're a mother of four, you're a wife, you do things outside of your work. And it's just, it would be, yeah, you would just, you would be walking around, like you were saying, like that, that sense of being fried, you know, that stress is too much and probably would really take its toll on you. So for new, for people that are starting this entrepreneur world, like you witnessed with your dad, because um, I have a lot of people, I have, I do teacher trainings and many of these women and men are In another job it's not their dream job it's kind of soul-sucking and they want to change and they want to start you know working for themselves which always sounds amazing it's also scary because you know that it's only on you at the beginning what are some um tips you would give to people who are determined to start working for themselves whatever product it is that they're going to um create what what are some really great lessons that you've learned that would, will help those early starting years, but then also going forward?
0: Yeah, I think there's two things that came to mind. One is um, if it feels hard and messy, you're not doing it wrong. It's mm. just hard and messy. Yes. Um, th- That's one. It's just hard and messy.
1: It just is. There's no other way to do it because you don't know what you're doing yet. I love that. Let's just say that again being your own entrepreneur is hard and messy. It, you know, when you see people doing it well, just know they have struggled as just like everyone else. It, it It's not a clean slate at all. It's not a, a linear trajectory. It's hard and messy.
0: Yeah. It's totally hard and messy. Um, my dad also said, uh, he still says, um, hard is not the end. It's just hard. Mm. And people interpret difficulty as I must not be doing it right. I must not be qualified for this. I must not know. And so then they quit. And, and then like, again, kind of going back to the time under tension, it's like, no, it's just hard. If it was easy, everybody would have a side hustle that pays them six figures. Like it's just hard. And that, you know, that's kind of going back to like the hard work. I love the idea of balance. I love the idea of living in the Zen state, But the truth of the matter is if you're not willing to put out an effort that nobody else is, you can't get results that nobody else has. And you can't cheat that system. And you know, I, you too, like I worked really hard for 20 years. And the question I always wondered, my 25-year-old self asked of my 40, you know, I'm 42, but almost 45-year-old self is, will I get there and say it was worth it?
1: How would you answer that? Is it worth it? I would say yes because of of the ultimate feeling I have and the oh. um and I'm still not there but when I you know along my way I've looked at what people who are not working for themselves do and the things that I don't think it wasn't a sacrifice but it was a choice like I didn't go out and socialize all the time I did you know I have a small friend group a lot of my friends are people I work with or, or work for me. And, and so I look at that and it it is what it is. You know, I could not have done a lot of, I don't want to say frivolous things, but they would have been frivolous in the way that I was living my life. And so some people who want to have all that um, are going to struggle because you, you, whatever way you want to look at it, sacrifice, give up, or just redirect whatever verb it is, you're going to have to do it. You, You can't, um, like everything has to go toward this goal of, of balancing and, and moving the dial. And, you know, my family is always at the center and then it's my work. And then it's the other things that might bring other people joy, but don't necessarily, you know, bring me joy. So I think that's also important to realize, like I get joy from work. Joy is not going out and having lunch, lunches with other people. Uh, It doesn't mean that I don't enjoy them. It's just that that would just burden me on the other side of it. And Mm it isn't worth it. And so, yeah, looking back, I think, did I miss out? No, because I'm where I'm, I'm where I am because of that. Would you say the same thing? Yeah. And
0: Laura, you're owning your choice. It's like, it's a choice I made. Mm-hmm. This was the outcome I wanted. And I rec- I recognize I'm going to have to make different choices to get there. Totally. I feel the same way. It's like, it's totally worth it. But there were a lot of years, my husband and I went on super crappy vacations, super crappy vacations. They weren't great. They're great now. They weren't great mm-hmm. then. I only saw my girlfriends if they would run with me at five o'clock in the morning. Like I did not coffee and lunch. Mm-hmm. I saw my friends at church and I saw them if they would exercise with me. That was pretty much it. And I when you're raising a family, when you're, you know, trying to figure out where are your talents, how do you piece all this together? It's, you have to go into a vacuum. I had to Me too. for like a decade to say like, and now I'm figuring it out and now I can do it a little bit easier. And now I, you know, you've got things start to open up a little bit faster, but, um, and friends have so much grace. that My husband and I weren't really around for a long time as we were trying to figure out what we were building. So it does, it takes an uncommon effort to get this outcome. And I I think it's important that we talk about this, that it's not lost in the glitter of the after.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like now we can, yeah, now I have more space to have, have opportunities to do things, take vacations, see friends in ways that I didn't before, but it's still my, my, my foot's on the pedal. You know, it's like at the end of the day, when you run your own business, it does come back to you. So I would love to know um, what are some things that have alleviated your, um, your load? And I'm sure it's going to come back to the people you hire, the choices you make and the questions you ask, but what are some questions you ask people you hire that really help you find this most efficient kind of burning bright, um, engine of your company?
0: Um, I, I mean, we have a, well, I mean, every culture is unique. Our, our culture. So I run an agency called element three and it's a marketing consultancy and we go in and we help mid market. And I'd say like small enterprise companies, with brand strategy and their marketing plans and how to, you know, what should their team look like and their technology and all this kind of stuff. So we're solving really complex problems, always in the context of business. And so I, I have found I need people who are already entrepreneurial. I can't teach that spirit. They have to come with that. I can teach them a lot about business. I can teach them a lot about marketing. I can teach them a lot about you know how to engage properly with clients, but I can't teach them that entrepreneurial spirit. So that for me is a really, really big piece of what I look for. That on their own time, they're trying stuff, they're taking risks, they're investing in crypto. They started a CrossFit gym. They they did something that there's kind of this hustle in them um, that they're and, and that also I think to me shows they're like a hands-on learner. It's one thing to be able to read a bunch of books and think you know about it, but my industry really rewards when you actually know about it. And so I need to see that they can take head knowledge and turn it into some decisions um, because that's a really critical piece of like actually getting market feedback. So that's something I definitely look for um, in leaders I'm looking to empower and grow. I I think this is a personality trait of mine, but I think it's ended up being a real secret weapon for us is that I really take the long view on talent. I think a lot of times, um, and I have the advantage of that because I'm privately held. I'm not, I don't have like VC money or something like that pushing me for returns that you know, I just don't know how to create. Um, But really investing in the right people from a character and values perspective and taking the long-term view on them where it might take them two years to get to the place where I'm like, you're crushing it. Um, But that hasn't, I think, just reciprocated a lot of loyalty, a lot of, um, I don't know, we just grew together. And Mm -hmm. I think that not saying, you know, that you've got to have everything figured out in three to six months, um, I think has been added, added really richly to our culture. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs are looking for quick fixes, especially on things like sales or, um, and it's like, they just, people just can't learn it all that quickly. I
1: cannot echo that enough. You know, whenever we have our meetings and, you know, we make our projected goals and all that. But then I look back, say, two years later and and I remember the initial conversation and we're just getting to it two years later. It's like things take time. Nothing Mm -hmm. happens overnight. I think this is another thing that when you're going into business for yourself, you have got to realize like you've got to put in a lot of effort before you see something getting pushed an inch. It's Mm -hmm. just that's the way it is. it's there you know, it's the thing there's really over no overnight success in that vein, I'm really interested in how you would advise someone who is getting into a field that seems saturated and how to find that um kind of special mark that helps them stand out because there there are a lot of fields marketing, I'm sure, saturated wellness. there's just a lot in there. like how do you um, set yourself apart enough in a way, not that you have to climb to the top, but that you're going to be recognized as special in that very kind of white noise field.
0: Um, that's a really good question. And probably tomorrow morning after like a run, I'll have an even better answer, <laughs> but my first answer, uh, cause marketing is super saturated. You're at right, wellness is too. Mm-hmm. Um, IT services, you know, like pick these industries where it's like, I don't know, there's a million. Um, I'll tell you what I think has been our differentiator for Element 3, and then I'd love to hear, Lara, from your perspective, what you've done too, is I think people chase a market opportunity instead of actually being who they are. And I think that those that figure out how to be who they are can do it so sustainably that that's actually who wins the market, because it's true. A landing page, a website, an email, those are all commodities. You can like download a template now and get it. Um, And I think my X factor is that I came to marketing from business. I actually have never, I never took a marketing class in college. I don't have a marketing degree. (laughs) I just think like a marketer, but I have the training of a business person. And that's just who I am. I just, I don't know why I see marketing and I don't know why I think like a salesperson but I understand the full PL, the full balance sheet. And so it allows me to think better because I'm a business person first. You know, is there a market opportunity for that? Yes. But it's just actually who I am. It's how I mm. think about it. It's how I see it. It's my upbringing. It's like just in my DNA. And so that's how, that's what I know how to train. That's how I know how to get people to think about marketing and, and so it wasn't that I pursued that specifically as a market entry point. It's just the thing that is particular about the way that I see marketing and I can do it for a really long time because it's actually how I think about it. Does that make sense?
1: Totally. I think you didn't need to run for that answer. That was great <laughs> because I, I I think that's actually the answer is that you need to be yourself. What is it that you see that is needed in the world what is, what is, how is your background informs that um, what is in your heart? You know, that's, that's exactly how I came to it as I saw a gap. And I, I, this gap was really between physical therapy and yoga. And it was just so clear to me that, that, that no one was really doing that, like teaching people about the body as it like I did as a physical therapist in the yoga realm. It was like yoga, you were just kind of performing it and being taught poses and I just thought there's a big hole here that mm-hmm. I that I naturally wanted to fill, which is let me use this as an opportunity to teach you more about your body so that you can take that into your life to feel better, to have more energy, to have a sustainable practice, um, to be a better person because you're actually paying attention, not just kind mm-hmm. of going through movement, so to speak. So that is what spoke to me. And I was lucky that not really many people were doing it, but along that way, because not many people were doing it, I looked a little bit different. I mm-hmm. people are resistant to something different, and so I think, um, t- true to what you said, I stayed true to myself, and and I that's yeah, that's what does allow us to, you know, set ourselves apart in some way um, without losing any part of ourselves either, and that's. That's the way you're going to stay fueled is not, you can't be anybody else. You have to be informed by what, what is passionate and um, pushing you.
0: And then you and I are both service providers. So we have the advantage of being able to pivot our product very iteratively to the marketplace based on what we're learning and that didn't work and that training was weird and like whatever it is. So, and that's where a hundred percent of my experience is. So it's different if you're engineering a product and you've got in you know, tooling and all that kind of stuff. That's a different animal. I don't, I just don't know that world <laughs> as yeah. well. But in the services business, it's exactly right. It's like when you're I think about even something silly like, you know, Peloton instructors. I mean, how many cycling instructors are there? Why are those the ones that are, you know, 10x more successful? Some of it's just like, I pick her cause I love her voice,
1: right? right. It,
0: like it doesn't have to be this market opportunity. Like what you're saying is like, Hey, I saw this intersection of physical therapy and yoga. And I really felt like there was a blue ocean there or for me, like business and marketing It's like, it can be intangibles. Like you have a really soothing voice or you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, yeah.
1: You just that, like the energy of someone. Yes. Yeah.
0: The energy, exactly. Um, And so yeah, that energy bring to room, the creativity you inspire, the way you talk, your accent, like it can be a lot of things. So, um, yeah.
1: So when, when someone is trying to grow their brand and say they have their website, what are some marketing tips that you would give your clients? Just like maybe three, because obviously we're not going to have you give away a lot of stuff for free, but like, what is important in terms of if someone's going to a website or someone is running an ad or somebody is on Instagram and they have to you know put like a sentence what are the things that are really important hooks for people for customers and um what would you advise for people who are trying to draw those customers
0: yeah I think it's always a reminder that nobody cares about what they do you do they only care about how you help so that's it's like kind of table stakes but no matter how long I write, no matter how many you know marketing campaigns I've worked on, it's always something I have to remind myself is we think all the time, we obsess about our product, but nobody actually cares. What they care about is what about their world is gonna change. Um, so that's something to think about is what is the pain you're actually solving? The other is to think about it, and there's two mindsets, towards and away from. So in your world, it could be like, I'm going towards, Um, a healthier, stronger body in my fifties, or I'm going away from back pain, you know, how to never have Like think about the way you help people in those two categories of which of my customers are moving towards an intended future and which of my customers are maybe moving away from a past that they don't want to follow them. And those are two different mindsets and they perform usually very differently depending on what kind of a buyer you're going after. Economic environments can make a big difference too. People are more willing to pay for pain to go away in a down market than they are for, you know, beauty and glamour and luxury as they're moving towards something. So just understanding some of the, your own market, but even what's going on around, you can inform how consumers are thinking about what they're willing to pay for. Um, and I think the last is like an authentic voice. I just drop the jargon, um, drop all of the, like, like read it out loud to yourself and be like, would I actually say this to somebody? Um, and I think, you know, we're drawn to more human brands. We're drawn to more human leaders. We're drawn to more human products. We're drawn to more human humans. And marketing is not like our brain does not consume marketing content like, oh, I'm reading marketing content. I should have different types of emotions and connections to this. It's exactly the same. And so that would be my third piece of advice is like, keep it human, read it out loud to yourself. Is it interesting or does it not interesting? If it's not interesting, don't do it. Like, if you wouldn't read it,
1: I love Don't that. publish
0: it. It's I love bad. that. It's bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important to realize, like, it's not about showcasing your product. It is always about speaking to what it's going to do for this person mm-hmm. because yeah, they don't care about how amazing your product is. If it doesn't, if it isn't clear how it's going to help them or change them or transform them, whatever it is. And um, I I just, those were great tips. I would have hired you 20 years ago for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, So let's just pivot a little bit into motherhood because you are a mother of four. Kudos to you. I'm a mother of two and it is challenging with two. I am one of four, just like you. And so I think in some ways that, um, that in combined with the fact that my, my husband only wanted two, it just became clear, like we were going to have two, but I think also I looked at my mom who my dad was a surgeon. And so was, you know, very busy. And then my mom was like the CEO of the household. Mm-hmm. She never was bitter or resentful or anything like that. She really approached it and 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 was so good at it. But I think to me I wanted to do something different. I just did not want this pure identification as being at home. And there are people who love that. So this is not to insult anybody. I think again we have to you have to go with what speaks for you. So when somebody like me says that, it isn't an insult. It's just true to me. Um, You're able to do both. And that is, you know, there's so much to unpack there. Having a husband who also works a two career home, four kids, four girls, which I have one girl and I can only imagine. I was on the phone with her last night, a 20 year old. I spent, I'm like on the phone or FaceTime with her and Jonah, my, my 18 year old's like, you're talking to Olivia again. It's like daily. But I imagine if I had three other daughters, they would, pro- they would probably talk to each other more. So I'm like the, the the go-to point. But how do you handle it? I know there's it's messy. It's complicated. Uh, it's also amazing. But what are some tips for moms with one child or four children or more who also want to have their career?
0: So, um, I've learned a lot. My mom was a stay at home mom. And so this life that I'm living is one that I have definitely had to like engineer with the support and advice and insights and sound bites from a lot of women who were just kind enough to speak into my life. Um, and my mom is so supportive, but it's true. It's not the, it's not what she lived. And so there's a gap between, you know, the tools that she had and raising us for kids and the tools that I need. Um, for my husband to be able to have a big job, for me to stay really committed to the things I've um, you know, accepted and invested in. And then uh, these four amazing kids that we have. So one I think is relevant is we do have four kids. They're far apart. My oldest is 13 and my youngest is two. And that is different than having four toddlers, you know, four, three, two, one, or whatever it is. Um, And so they're, they're really helpful. They're a team. And like I said earlier, like I have really clear expectations of the kids. Um, and we have a very fun household, but they have things they have to do because it's important that all of us work together. Um, I think there's two things that I've done too. A lot of what I've learned in my business about processes and systems I have implemented into my home. So we run on a lot of systems because there's a lot of people in and out of here, um, kids need to go take into practice. I'm not always the one to take them. Um, right now, my youngest goes to daycare, but we had in home care for a really long time. If a grandma's coming in, or an aunt, or a sitter, or, you know, the system has to run. And I can't re engineer it every single day based on who's participating in it. The system has to run. So, um, an example of that is um, like food. On Thursday, I make the menu for the next week on Friday, I order groceries on Saturday morning, they're delivered. And then every week, um, I make three dinners, three homemade dinners. Uh, and then, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night is usually homemade dinner, Thursday nights, leftovers. And Friday, we go out for dinner. It's just, that's just the system that just works. That's what I do. That's how we feed ourselves. And then I have a list of about 20 things that are like kind of always snacks on hand, hummus, carrots, cucumbers, mangoes, you know, it's like kind of just add to cart, uh, avocados. And it's just, that's what the kids know, know to eat. One of the systems is that when they get home from school, they're always hungry. Um, they pick one thing from the fridge and one thing from the pantry. They always want to f- eat from the pantry. I'm not forcing them to eat from the pantry. They want right, like, you know, right, a granola right. bar and cheese. Um, And so when they come home, they know they pick one thing from the fridge, one thing from the pantry. I know they've gotten fresh fruit or vegetables in Um, and then my seven-year-old needs to decompress. And so she sets the Alexa timer for 20 minutes. She watches the iPad for 20 minutes. And if she doesn't get off when it rings, then she loses the privilege for the next day. So that's just an example of like, I don't have the time or capacity to micromanage or to like make them a platter of food every day that they get home. But these rules, these guidelines um, help them make decisions that are in keeping with how I want them to be raised. They're entrusted with those decisions. If they don't make those decisions, then they usually use a privilege. Like if you watched, if you watch the iPad for an hour, you lose it tomorrow. Like, and she knows if you asked her, she'd be like, this is the plan. I set the timer. Sometimes she'll sit for 22 minutes if she has to go potty. (laughs) Right, and you're like, okay, okay. all right. So if I had to go potty. So, you know, those are things that empower them. I'm not bossing them through the day. I'm not micromanaging their life, but I'm giving them tools. I'm teaching them how to self-manage. And that's those are just examples of like, it's just how it works. I want, food is important to us. I want our home to feel like we- you know, eat well, that we're not doing carry out. And I, a few years ago, I had this realization every day we eat. Why am I surprised when dinner comes around? This is so annoying. Like I'm over, like, I'm like, Oh, it's dinner. It's like, yes, every day we have to eat everybody. Right. And so I just like, I just have to have a system for it. And if I have a system, I just run my system and then everybody gets fed and I don't feel behind and I think happens. this
1: is so crucial. Cause I did, when my kids were young, I did the same thing. I did menu planning and I don't think I'm nearly as inherently organized as you are. I'm not a first child. I'm, I'm like, you know, I have a triplet. I don't know what that, like we were all on the <laughs> second rant, but, but I have, um, but I, I do, I, I feel the same way. I would, I would, it would be four o'clock and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to have for dinner? And that, that just creates unnecessary strife, the, the figuring it out, the, you know, stopping your day and preparing whatever it is. And so having the menu planning was such a game changer for me. You know, once my kids were older and, you know, now I have one out of the house and one is a senior in high school. I didn't need to do that. But mm-hmm. those earlier years, I, I it is it is a game changer. And because food is always, it's that's something we always have to have, you know? And so I think I love the idea of these systems in place and that they're already in place so that, you know, just insert any person who's there, whether it's mm-hmm. grandma or, you know, a babysitter or whatever, that all of that is they the kids know it and you know it. And I'm sure you probably have it uh, on some kind of spreadsheet <laughs> or something that is ready for those people. So I think that's very helpful advice. What do you do when, like we all do, those middle of the night moments where as a mother and a, and a full time, you know engineer of your, of your business, uh, where you think I, I'm dropping the ball. Like, I mean, I've had these moments where I'm like, am I being the best mom I can be? And it's usually in the middle of the night when I think all the, it just, those seeds come to fruition, but do you have those moments and and what do you do? How do you, um, soothe yourself?
0: Um, you know, I really don't anymore. Somebody gave me this advice, um, right after I'd had my second one, because I thought I was going to be a stay-at-home mom um, uh, for a very long time. Even after I had my first kid, I was like, oh, I mean, one, I mean, one, what am I going to do? I'm going to be so bored. I'm, I'll am i just work till I have my second. And then I had my second. I was like, I mean, I don't know. I'll probably be bored at home with two too. Like, and then all of a sudden I was like, no, you're going to work. You're not going to be a stay-at-home mom. I was like, oh, that's my energy is so pulled towards being a working mom. What in the world? I didn't picture this, even though that's what I was actually living. Um, And I said the words, I feel so guilty. You know, I just feel so guilty for leaving my kids. And um, this, my one of my coaches at the time said, do you though? Do you though? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you actually feel guilty? He's like, you realize riding this guilt train, it's a choice. You can choose to ride it or you can choose to step off. He's like, if you feel guilty, that means that you're a victim to your environment. Mm. Didn't you pick this? And I was like- I love that yeah, I picked it. He's like, don't you love it? I was like, yeah, I love it. He's like, do you actually feel guilty? Or do you just feel like you're supposed to say you feel guilty? And I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to say I feel guilty. He's like, but do you feel guilty? I was like, no, I love it. I love being a mom. I love being a CEO. I love being busy. Does every day come together exactly the way I want it to? No. Is that a natural consequence of living a really full life? Totally. Do my kids have to give me grace sometimes because I was 10 minutes late? 100%. Do I feel bad about that? Nope. It's part of life. It's part of them Mm -hmm. having a mom who has things I feel called to put into the world and they are one of them, but they are not the only thing.
1: I love that. And I think that I I totally agree. And I would answer the same question. I think that guilt is is placed on us culturally and societally, like you, you know, that that we're supposed to be a certain way. And I think when I've had those moments, it isn't really about guilt, it's about overwhelm. And it just comes out in that like moment of, but really if I when I really unpack it, it's it's more that I I personally am feeling overwhelmed. So it's a very easy like go to like, am I being the best mom? Well, yeah. that's easy. It's really more like I have to just um, be clearer on, like you said, on your obligations, where can I, where can I look at my calendar and, and make it a little bit cleaner because the overwhelm shows up somewhere and, and it hasn't happened in a while, but I remember those middle you of the know, night, like, feeling- Lara, that's,
0: that's a great point. My husband gave me such a gift. It was probably five, six years ago. And I was in exactly that place. My head was like, you're failing at everything. So he took the kids to the basement he put these great big post-it notes up and he wrote down like all the things like dinner time, mom on field trips, time with Nana, like all this stuff. And there was two sides. Mom's doing a good job. Mom's doing a bad job. And he had them literally say like, would you say mom's doing a good job at this or a bad job at this? And there was like two things that they like objectively said, I'm doing a bad job at. And I was like, And he's like, can, can you like, do you want mom to make time for these things? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So then I could go look at my calendar. I could be be like, I'm actually doing a good job. They think I'm doing a good job. Empirically, they think I'm doing a good job. It was such a gift to me. And so if you're in that state, somebody who's listening, ask the people you think you're failing, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: am I, because it could just be this big, loud voice in your head and
1: it was such a gift. I was like, I okay. love that he did that. I've done yeah. that on my own. Just said, is there, sometimes I feel like, um, you know, I'm not showing up in the way that you might need. It. Is that true? And yes, they're both of them. Well, my son is never wasted. I was always worried more about my my daughter because she has more of an emotional mm-hmm. kind of need for my attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, yeah, she, it was never, you know, I was surprised like she, and, and when they talk, about me, they're so proud. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're proud of what I've accomplished. And that that to me shows that, you know, the of uh, anything that, that might have been disappointed in is not what, you know, comes to the top. It's it's the that they're so happy for me. And I, I think that's that's important too. And I've seen that parlay into things for my daughter where she's really proud of her friends mm-hmm. and And that is like for girls, that's so such a gift Mm -hmm. that we can elevate each other and hold each other up and just, you know, a friend of hers might get um, a major role. You know, she's a theater major and she's genuinely happy. There isn't like any jealousy. And I think, wow, that's, that's who she is. But I'm sure it's also just being able to see like somebody's worked really hard and they deserve Mm -hmm. this and I'm really happy for them. That's really cool. Yeah, for sure. So we could talk forever, but I, I just love to, um, hear any like last kind of hurrah tips for women, women supporting each other, um, in particular, cause I, I am a huge proponent of that. I think that women are the hardest on women when in any field, whether it's in media or as in friendships or anything. So I've, I've always wanted to to be a pioneer, not a pioneer, but be be the one who is um, uplifting other women. How do you, what do you have to say about that?
0: Yeah, when you were talking, the word grace came to my mind. I think that as achievers, as, you know, in, you know if you're in business of any kind, you're competing. Mm-hmm. And so there's sort of this edge of like, for me wanting to win and succeed. And I think as I've gotten older this word grace of like giving myself grace that I'm on a journey. I'm learning The leader. I was five years ago was not nearly as good as the leader I am today. And I, you know, I hope in five years, I look back and say, wow, I've grown so much more. And so I think giving yourself grace, giving your community grace, your people, you know, your friends that are at different places in their own journeys and self-awareness and all that kind of stuff. Like, we're all on a journey. And I think in snapshots in time, we can hold people to that person. They were on that day for the rest of their life if we're not careful. And, um, just like being filled with grace, being really present for one another and being able to like forgive sometimes where we were hurt or where somebody was still going on their journey. Um, I think is a big part of having a community that continues to grow and that you feel comfortable growing in as well.
1: Mm, I love that. Well, tell everybody where they can find out more about you, Tiffany, you have so much to share. I know you also have a podcast. Um, can you share those details? will also be in the show notes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. My podcast is called scared confidence and we really love work it. to explore. Yeah. What does fear say to people? And they're when they're on their growth journey, very vulnerable in my own life and journey and um, share kind of the inside baseball of a two career home with four kids. Um, I really am on a mission to help people have that be, you know, just this sort of two career home and uh, work life, um, sharing tips and tricks and tools that have helped my husband and I um, and so, yeah, if, if you follow me on, you know, subscribe to the podcast and follow me there, then we'll lead you from there. So thanks for giving me a chance, Laura, to share my story with your audience and look forward to continuing to collaborate. I think we've got some ideas and maybe how we can work together too. So
1: I would love that. I love that. I'm so inspired by you and I love your, your words and your journey and your clear passion for everything you do. It, it really. Um, it emanates from you. So thank you so much for taking the time in your busy schedule to, to speak with me today. Absolutely. And for everyone who's listening, check out Tiffany. And as always, I am pulling for you.